my name is obviously Suze and uh, this is Zeke and uh, we're delighted to be here this afternoon and are you just going to stand there? Hello yeah? everyone, hi, hi. Great. Hi. Good to see and, you uh, <laughs> Yeah, just I'm guessing like some of you will know us, some of you won't, but um, as I say, my name's Suze. I've been in the vineyard now since 2004 when I came to uni, so for the last 14 years, been here, based here at Trent. Um, at the moment, I oversee what we call the emerging generation, so kids, youth, students, young adults, and alongside that, head up Dreaming the Impossible, which is our youth festival. Who here's been to DTI? Yes, so great to see you guys. Um, some of you might be here this, here this afternoon and wondering, uh, you might have seen from, a so, from the um, DTI social media channels that we sent a little video out the other week. Who's, who's seen that? Yeah, some of you have seen that. And um, just, just wanted just to say, we're not really here to talk, talk about that too much, but I just wanted to say that you will have noticed that we are going to be moving our festival from the spring to the summer from 2020. And uh, it's been a journey, a process of trying to discern what the Lord's been saying to us. And for those of you that have been at our youth festival over the last few years, God has been adding to our number. We've seen him do some amazing things amongst young people. And we really believe that there's more, yeah. that there's more for young people in the vineyard, but also that we have something um, to, to, to be a blessing to the rest of the church as well. So from 2020, we're going to be welcoming um, young people from churches everywhere to come and join us. So we're really excited about it, if we're honest, um, a little bit petrified as well. Um, but we'll see, we'll see what happens with that. And the reason I'm saying this to you is because uh, you guys are going to be really key in this because we're going to need probably multiple hundreds of teams to come and serve so if, if you're here and, and you think, yeah, I'd love to come and be a part of that, I'd love to come and get along serving, maybe it's on a kids team or a host team or something else, then we would love to talk to you. So you can uh, email us at hello at dreamingimpossible.org. We'll tell you more about it next year, but that's where we're at with that. Zeke? It would be amazing to see you guys. So, so watch our social media and we'll keep you in touch. Um, yeah, my name's Zeke. My actual name's Ezekiel Michael Rink, but you can call me Zeke uh, if that's all right with you guys. And um, I, I actually hail from Sydney, sunny Sydney, came over here when I was 18, and I, my wife and I have just moved to southwest London, a place called Wandsworth. We're part of Ballon Vineyard, or Vineyard 61, you might have heard of it. And uh, we, before that, I was a youth pastor along with my wife Ellie down at Coastline Vineyard in Bournemouth. And um, so that we, we're blessed to see some of you guys here, and um, I know who the people who really want to be here, because they're here. Um, but yeah, so it's been an amazing time, and... And it's been an honor to be part of, I've just come on board with DTI, and Suze is now my boss, so she's literally watching over my shoulder. And, and so it's amazing what God is doing. And you know, we wanted to talk to you, we, we, Suze and I were saying, let's talk about dreaming the impossible, like, yeah, let's talk about dreams and stuff. And then Suze was like, no, no, I think we need to talk about doing the impossible. And, and we want to be, I don't know about you guys, but I want to be part of a generation that actually doesn't just dream about these ethereal things, but we actually, and, and what our life could be, but we actually get on and be, be a part of what God wants to do in our life. Do, do you agree? We, we want to be a generation that's not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word and doers of the truth that we've been hearing about. And so we, we've, we've started this faith journey. We've started really dreaming. When, when I first joined the team, the DTI core team, we were, we were talking about what would it look like if DTI grew and we started to dream together, and now this dream's becoming more of a reality. And so sometimes you've got these dreams, and then they actually start to happen and unfold. And you need to start to change your perspective. You need to start to, to, to see things in a bigger way. I remember um, years ago, I was a youth pastor in a local church in a little town on the south, of, south coast of England called New Milton. 
and I was just plugging away, doing youth work. I was employed as an outreach youth worker, working with young people that were sort of disaffected, out of school, struggling, and I just was around a lot of Christians, but then also around a lot of non-Christian young people, and I would hear Christians talk about their dreams all the time, and so many of them reaching 40, 50, and 60, and not actually realizing or doing any of those dreams. And, and I was like, man, and I was just fed up, and I come into the office, sat down with my mentor, and I said, I'm just fed up, man, all of these dreamers, no doers. And he said, Zeke, there's three types of people in this world, people who make things happen, people who watch things happen, and people who say, what happened? He said, which one are you? And I said, well, I, I'd like to think I'm a make it happen kind of person. He said, well, that's good, Zeke. Like, you do that. You follow the Lord, his call on your life, and hopefully others will follow. And so... We get really excited when we're planning this talk because we wanted, to, we wanted to talk about the practical outworkings of letting our dreams become a reality. If, if God's gonna use us and if we're really gonna make our dreams a reality, we need to step out and, and actually begin to put some stuff into action. Wes, uh, Les Brown, an American author, said this, the graveyard is the richard, richest place on earth because it is, it is here that you will find all the hopes and the dreams that were never fulfilled, the books that were never written, the songs that were never sung, the inventions that were never shared, the cures that were never discovered, all because someone was too afraid to take the first step, to keep with that problem, or determined to carry out their dreams. You know, some would say, and we've heard this over the weekend, that we're living in, a, in not just post-Christendom, some theologians and and sociologists would say, we're living in post-post-Christendom. This isn't a Christian nation anymore. People aren't thinking about Christ. But, but, and we're finding ourselves in this moment, in this, in this moment of time. And, and, and our pervading culture is a difficult and challenging place to live out our faith in obedience to God's call on our life. But this doesn't have to define our reality. This doesn't have to be our reality. The, the, the call on God the call of God on all of our lives, we, we can live out something more. So just as you're in, you look like you're in pairs, many of you, or you've got someone near you, just turn to them real quick, and, and I want you to ask, answer this question with them. What is the greatest challenge in the Christian faith for you right now? Or, or let's phrase it another way. What is stopping you from allowing your dreams to be a reality? Go for it. You've got 30 seconds, by the way, and we're counting. Great, reckon that's, that's long enough. If I can bring you back, to get back together a little bit. We're just saying this stage moves, so if we look like we're moving, it's because we actually kind of are. Um, <laughs> and, and so I, I don't know how you guys got on with that. I guess uh, a number of you in this room will, will have a slightly different response to that question. You know, what is it that's stopping us doing the impossible? And uh, we've been chatting about it, we've been praying about it for some, for some weeks now, and we want to suggest this afternoon that the thing that actually stops us 
doing the impossible, the biggest challenge for us as followers of Jesus in this generation is to actually be obedient to Jesus. And so we want to ask the question this afternoon, you know, in the midst of all the things that life throws at us, what does it look like for us to count the cost and to follow those simple words that Jesus said to his first disciples years back, come and follow me. Because you see, if we want to actually do the impossible, we've got to work out what it looks like to actually follow this Jesus that we know and we love. And to be obedient, despite what culture might say, despite what our mates or housemates, course mates might say, colleagues, to count the cost, whatever it is, and however much of a sacrifice it feels like. And uh, so we want to talk about this today. And we'll be honest, from the beginning, when we started talking about this, we are like, oh, actually, this stuff is so much easier to talk about than it actually is to do. It's a pretty hardcore uh, topic. And in many ways, very, very challenging. But we're so passionate about it. And, uh, you know, over the last 20 years, as I followed Jesus, we followed Jesus a similar sort of length of time. I know that's longer than some of you guys have lived. We're not that old. But... But over those years, we've made a number of intentional decisions to want to be obedient to Jesus. But at the same time, you know, we're not perfect. We make bad choices sometimes. We've got our own shortcomings. And so we want to be challenged by this. But if we want to continue to grow and to learn, then we've got to nail this stuff. And uh, we've got to talk about it because it's so important. And you know what? In church, we're amazing, aren't we, at talking about our identity in Christ. You know, we're loved chosen, known, accepted, sons and daughters of the king. And, and all that stuff, guys, is absolutely true, isn't it? It's foundational to who we are as followers of Jesus. But the Bible is also clear that there is a cost to following Jesus, that we are called to lay down our lives for the king and for the sake of his kingdom. And uh, I think that's a challenge for us because in, in our culture... It is that kind of mentality, that kind of philosophy. Lay down your lives is totally countercultural to what's going on. Because if we're honest, this culture is like, it's all about me, isn't it? It's like, me, 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 me. Like, um, you know, what's the best thing for me to do? What should I do? What hopes and dreams do I have? How does this decision affect me? You know? You know, I can be whoever I want to be as long as I don't hurt anybody. That's the kind of mentality. And it's so easy to get wooed by that stuff, as it is so easy to get wooed by stuff. You know, by the flashiest phone or new car or a career that's got an amazing salary. It's easy to be wooed by the stuff of the world. It's easy to be wooed by things that shout success in the eyes of the world. But we want to ask the question, what does it look like for Jesus to be the name that we're shouting above all else? I love this quote by Francis Chan. He says this. He's a pastor over in America. He says this. Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at the things in life that don't really matter. Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but it should be succeeding in the things in life that don't matter. Let's succeed in life at the things that do matter. And I think this is really relevant to, to our kind of age group, your kind of age group, because being the age we are, or you are, um, it it's, it's a key time. You know, the decisions that we make now will set up the trajectory of our lives forever. Let's make great decisions now to put Jesus first, to count the cost, to lay our lives down. You know, if we want to do the impossible, we need to put our hands fully in the God in whom all things are possible. Because we believe that if we really do say yes to Jesus, 
then we really do believe that he will use us to do the impossible. So we're going to have a look at what the Bible says about it. Over to you, mate. Nice one, Suze. That's great. Um, so just for a second, think back to like when you first came to Christ, when you first gave him your life. Maybe you walked up the front of a service. Maybe your mate led you to the Lord in some, I don't know, pub garden or something. Just think for a second what it, what it was like and what happened. I wonder what the cost was for you. Or when you look back from that point now, the cost that it, it's, it's had on your life. See, because I don't really think we talk that much about this, we, 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 like Sousa said, and we need to think about what are the actual costs. And when I look at the scriptures, and, and when I look at my own life, it has actually cost. Following Jesus has cost me something. I remember a lot of things. Um, I remember when I was 16 years old and I was a football fanatic. That's all I lived for. That was my dream. I wanted to be a pro footballer. That's why I came to the UK. And, and all of this stuff going on. And I remember I, I was at a church service in a, in a building probably this big. And there was, I don't know, 800,000 people there in Sydney. And the preacher's speaking truth and it's just hitting my heart. And I'm like, man, I need to, I, I don't know what I've been living, but and, and as I'm sat there, the Lord just asked me one question, will you make me number one? Because that was the question that he had to ask me. See, he's asking us all different questions, depending on what our God is. For me, my God was football. I served football. I served at the altar of what my manager or coach would think of me, whether I had a good performance or not. That was my, my idol, and that was the one I had to put down. That was actually the cost. And, there's, and I could continue with the story that, of my life, how I've had to lay that down because there's been a greater call on my life. Not that football isn't an amazing call. It just wasn't what God had for me. You see, when I look at Scripture, and I just want to point your eyes to some Scripture now, every, everyone who encountered Jesus had a life-changing, a life-altering moment. Every single person. There's not one person in the Scriptures that, wasn't, that didn't have a cost attached to that moment. Let's for a second, and um, we are going to look at some scripture like going through the Bible, but I just want to nail a couple of verses, some moments of, of scripture. Let's think in Matthew 19, 16 to 30, the rich young ruler, we've got them all, all down here, but let's think of the rich young ruler. For him, the cost was actually eternal life. So he was wealthy, and Jesus said, sell all you have and give it to the poor. For him, the cost was actually that he was prepared to walk away from Jesus and a relationship that he was calling him into and giving up everything and following him for, for eternal life, whether he was going to end up with God in eternity. See, maybe that's the cost on your life, that you're still saying no to God. And one day there'll be a time where it's, you can't keep saying no because you've said no and there's no chance. There's nothing left. What about the woman at the well in John 4, 1 to 16? This, this woman encounters Jesus and he highlights an area of her life that's just sexually not right. She's, she'd been with four men and, and the fifth man she was with, he wasn't her husband. And Jesus points this out with a word of knowledge and the woman's like, whoa, okay, you've read my mail. Hey, you know what I'm about. But for her, it was, it was her sexuality. It was her promiscuous life. That was a cost for her. That let's, the woman... Um, with the alabaster jar. I love this story and I love just imagining it. So you imagine Jesus hanging out with loads of religious people. I think it was the Pharisees. I, you can check up the scripture and it will say. 
But he's hanging out with these people, and they're loving being with Jesus. They're entertaining him. And suddenly a woman bursts through the doors. I imagine it like this. And she just runs straight to Jesus and falls at his feet, crying. See, for her, the cost was, what will everyone else think in the room? She was hated. The Bible says she was a woman of the night. She was probably a prostitute. The men, none of those men in the room thought she was worthy to get even close to Jesus. See, for her, the cost was actually, what does everyone else around me, in my culture, in my society, think of my act? No, she just had eyes for Jesus. Bust through the door, boom, she's on her knees. Jesus, like breaking perfume. For her, it was, what will people, people think? She was willing to sacrifice that for, for a moment and a lifetime with Jesus. Mary and Martha, one was busy preparing for Jesus, who was already there. The other was doting on Jesus and worshiping him. Sometimes we're busy preparing our stuff for the Lord, but we're never actually being intimate or close with him. We don't actually really know the Father. We just know the acts that might get us to the Father. Do you know what I mean? The deaths of the disciples, we're reminded every disciple that followed Jesus was, was killed. Do you know that? No one died of old age. They were all killed. One, one hung on a cross upside down for his faith. It cost them their lives. It cost them their lives. I look at all these characters. You see, we read in Revelation 12, verses uh, 10 to 12. Can we get that real quick? Um, it might, oh, there we are. But I just want to read verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice. I actually want to read verse 11. Can we just go straight to 11? Yes. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink back from death. I just love that passage that these disciples, I know, you know, some of them were stoned. You know that there's this moment where it's like, do I follow Jesus or do I follow what's comfortable? And they, they took that choice to follow Jesus. You know, some of you might get called to countries where it's illegal to be a Christian. Dare I say, some of you are going to die. You'll be killed for your faith. How many of you have heard that ever? What if that was the cost? Would you do it? Would you follow him? It's, it's hard for us because we live in this world where that cost isn't. But the cost for us is still the same. Will we choose Christ over our circumstance or situation? Real quickly, Luke 14, 25 to 30. I just want to read it real quick. Let's open your Bibles as we've been encouraged to do. It's the cost of being the disciple. Are you guys with me? You all right? Got the afternoon slump? <laughs> Anyone like, this is the graveyard shift. Should see how it feels for me and Suze. No, jokes, jokes. I'm seriously joking. You guys are wonderful. The cost of being disciple. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, verse 25. And turning to them, he said, just context real quick. Jesus has got an established ministry. Hundreds of people are following him. Yeah? And then he drops this bombshell. I, I'd like to say it's the equivalent of a mega church pastor with a massive congregation then turning around and saying something like this in our day. If anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. 
Won't, the, won't you first sit down and estimate the cost if, if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, someone, someone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king about to go to war against another king, wouldn't, wouldn't he first sit down and consider whether he was able with 10,000 to, to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will, he, will, he will send a delegation while the others are still a long way off and ask for the terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who can't, who, uh, sorry, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, is good, but if it loses its saltiness, it cannot be made salty again. It is fit for neither the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whatever, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. You know, I, I, I feel like this is the passage where, where Jesus is like, oh, everyone's following me. And at this point, you'd say a lovely message so more people would join, but he does the opposite. And he actually, this is like the cooling off period. You know when you, anyone got a phone, new phone lately? They give you a 14-day cooling off period just in case you don't like the phone. doesn't work for your life. doesn't, doesn't you know, feel right. It's, this is what Jesus, I, I feel like we need to do this in the church. Our new pastors have been telling Christians to stop coming to their church. Go back to your church where you're part of. We only, we only want to encourage non-Christians. You know, it's like that cooling off period. Do you really want to follow Christ? And this is the cost. This is what we're, we're, we're moving into. Suze, do you want to talk about counting the cost? Yeah, I'm tempted to start talking in an Australian accent. Oh. I'm not going <laughs> to. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I'm not going to say it. Um, you know, I love those Bible passages. I love hearing the stories of the guys in the Bible who have counted the cost for following Jesus. Because there's such a clear sort of thread that comes through that there is a cost to following Jesus. But what I love about it is that the cost isn't the same, isn't the same for everyone. You know, you can recognize that. It's different for different individuals. And I wonder if um, I was to get a mic and come, come along and interview all of you. Don't worry, I'm not going to do that because it would really take ages and uh, it would probably be a, be a bit awkward for you. But, you know, if I was to ask you what are the costs that you have encountered for following Jesus, what would you say? You know, for you, has it been your reputation, your career, uh, money? Has it been pursuing purity at all costs? Has it been pride, you know, a relationship, family, maybe stepping out in the prophetic and looking a bit silly? You know, it looked different for each of us. And, and sometimes when I listen and read passages like that, I can, I can kind of think of the early disciples and think, man, like they counted the cost in a way I cannot even comprehend. And, and today there's thousands of our brothers and sisters around the world in the persecuted church who are literally dying for their faith. And so sometimes I can look at those, those costs and think, my costs feel a little bit insignificant. And in some ways they are. But what, I'm, what, what we're not saying this afternoon is to count the cost of following Jesus that you've got to end up upside down on a cross. If that's what God asks of you, then yeah, but but we've got to be obedient to Jesus to count the cost in the culture in which we live, in the circumstances in which we live. And um, just wanted to speak personally with you guys just, just for a few moments. It feels like we're best friends now, yeah? And uh, what I say I know is never going to go anywhere outside this room, so that's okay. But 
you know what? I love the role that I get to do. I feel so called to, to do the role that I do here and to do the role with the young people in the movement. And uh, I wouldn't change it for the, for the world unless Jesus asked me to do something different. But there have been costs that I've encountered to do, to do this role. And uh, it seems to me that uh, the more responsibility I've taken on, which has increased over time, the more that the costs have increased. And there's been times, if I'm honest with you, where I've felt, in my role, I felt lonely and I felt isolated. There's been times at night when I've been lying awake at night when I should have been asleep, worrying or wondering if I've made the right decision on something. There's been times when uh, I've said something and I've been misunderstood and misrepresented. There's been times where I've been way more consumed about the fear of failing than I have about um, putting my trust in God. And uh, one of the biggest costs for me, really speaking really openly, has been uh, relationally. I'm a massively relational person, so it's a massive cost to me that all of my family, they live 90 miles away in the beautiful city that is Cambridge. And uh, yeah, get a Cambridge, it's lovely. And um, I know it might not seem like a big deal to some of you, but they all live within a mile of each other. We're on this WhatsApp group. Anyone got a family WhatsApp group? Yeah. And it's on overdrive all the time, and they go on about how the A14, this road, gets congested, and they update each other. But, and that's fine, I don't really care, because yeah. I'm not in this traffic. But when, they're at the, um, when they've gone out for lunch together, or when they've taken my nieces and nephews to, to the zoo or to the park, and I get a photo, a selfie, of all of them, and I'm not in it, because I've been doing something else. There is a cost to that. There's a cost when your friends get married and move away and go on a church plant, and it's tempting for you to go too, which you should do if God's calling you. But if he's not, then don't do it. You know, there's a cost. And um, along the way, I've probably felt every single emotion, you know, in the, in the cost. Joy, despair, joy, despair, everything in, in between. But it's so worth it. It's so, so worth it, because doing what Jesus has called you to do, to be obedient to those words, come follow me, is never going to leave you shortchanged. You know, trusting that he's enough, giving Jesus my yes, my hand in his, following him, trusting in him, no matter what the cost. And my prayer is that you guys would say yes to that over and over and over again. Mm. So we've done a lot of talking. It's time for you to have two minutes just to do some talking yourselves. Uh, a couple of questions I think they should come up for you. What have the cost been for you in following Jesus? What are you finding challenging about what we're saying so far? And are there any, if you, this, this one, perhaps you might only want to share it if you feel comfortable, but are there any areas of your life where currently you know before the Lord that you're not being obedient to what he's asking of you? And if so, kind of direct question, but what are you going to do about it? Uh, so, so two minutes. We don't have the questions. We haven't got the questions. So the first question is, what have the costs been for you in following Jesus? What are you finding challenging? And are you being disobedient? And if you are, what are you going to do about it? Two minutes. Maybe we can get some tunes on. That would be great. Like jungle music type stuff. <laughs> you know, you all know what I mean, don't you? It's like ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Ooh. This is not what I imagined. <laughs>
Okay. So I know you're deep. How do we need like any more time? 30 seconds? We need yeah, more time. I need more time. Everyone's yeah. like, I need half an hour for this, man. What are you on about? <laughs> right, you can, uh, no, no, go on. Uh, half, half, 30 seconds. Amazing. This is, this is the actual finish. And if you're deep in and you're like already got the tissues out, you're going to have to take that somewhere else. Um, nah, jokes, sort of. Uh, so, so guys, that's the like sort of think about. I hope you are taking notes. I love taking notes at these kind of things because I'd go away and in my quiet times really chew through some more stuff, look up the scriptures and really let the Holy Spirit speak through his word. And so... Um, what about this sort of, how do I apply this to my life? Um, what I love about scripture is that you can literally apply it to your life, and we're going to give you some equations but, but, um, in a minute. But, um, but one of my favorite verses is Romans 12, 1 to 2, and in fact, I've, it's so favorite that I've memorized it, and you guys can test me of whether I know it verbatim, all right? Does anyone know Romans 12, 1 to 2? Yeah, like it. Right, I'm going to try, Taryn, you can, you can like... That's me, okay. <laughs> Therefore, brothers and sisters, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, I'm not looking there, holy and pleasing to God. Oh yeah, it's up there. This is your- Come on. I was looking, this is, come on, hang on. Close Therefore, brothers and You've sisters- You've got to close your eyes. I'm, I'm really, yeah. Therefore, brothers and sisters, and, I, and this is Paul talking to us, still today, 2,000 years on, it's still relevant. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, I, well, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, minds. Then you will be able to test God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. How's that? Guys, the, I, I'm, I, I, what is that? That's like spoken word, isn't it? It's spoken scripture. Sort Even of. better. Um, but guys, I'm pa I love this scripture. I do. I hang on to it. This is like, the, this is like my, my e equation for life. Susie's going to give us one of the equations in a second. But, but you know, Paul is giving us a, a, bl a blueprint for how we live our lives. And this is 21st century living. This is how we live. It's, it hasn't changed. Same issues we're all facing. This is the equation by which we can live our life wholeheartedly for our king. How do we do the impossible? We're about to give you life-changing equations. Apart, obviously, Jesus is gonna, he, he does that. 
through his spirit. But come on, no, no, I'm downplaying it. Come on. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I guess another fact you need to know about me. I, lo- I actually really love maths. Does anyone else love, love maths? Yeah. And I know you might find that quite surprising, but the other week I was, um, I, I, I think I must have been a bit stressed because I, um, I thought maybe I should try and find out what level maths I'm at. Uh, so, so a mate of mine brought round a key stage two, so year six, <laughs> maths, SATs, non-calculator paper. Mm-hmm. And I was doing it 11.15 at night, having a great time. And um, I managed to get 33 out of 35. I know it wasn't 100%, and it's year 11, yeah, age 11, but, you know, I'm 20 years or more on from that, so I think I've still got it. But anyway, <laughs> don't switch off if you don't love maths, but we reckon in, in, this, in these verses in Romans that there's a couple of equations that we're going to look at this afternoon. So the first equation we need a flip chart, dude, that's you. Yeah. Uh, everyone loves a flip chart, don't they? It's good, it's good so... Uh, so I want to read that first, first verse together again. Okay, so this is what it says, Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and it's your proper worship. Okay, so the first equation we find there. So what have we got to start off with? Anyone know? Don't be scared. God's... Mercy, okay, in view of God's mercy, so we've got God's mercy, so it says, in view of God's mercy, I urge you to be a living sacrifice, God's mercy plus living sacrifice, can you spell, yeah, (laughs) it's like we hadn't practiced, (laughs) God's mercy plus our living sacrifice, yeah, Uh, okay, there's an I just in there, no, no, here, 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 anyway, you you get the drift, God's mercy. No, 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 no. Fice. Just Sacri- let's just let's just carry on. Rifice. Oh yeah, we yeah. yeah, okay. So God's mercy plus living sacrifice equals true worship. Equals true worship. And I don't know about you, but I long to live a life that I offer Jesus true worship. You know, I'm not talking just about singing songs, hands in the air, yeah. although that's part of it. I'm talking about a life that is fully surrendered to Jesus. True Worship, wholehearted worship. And this Bible passage shows us how to get there. If we want to get to the point of true worship, we've got to understand to start off with God's mercy. We've got to understand his mercy. Read the first half of Romans. You'll see it's all about mercy. Some of you are here, you're like, what even is mercy? Really, really briefly, mercy is not getting what we deserve. It's not getting what we deserve. You know, we can only respond once we understand mercy. You know, God had mercy on me. I was dead in my sin, destined for a life separated from Jesus forever. But God, in his mercy, took all of that, died on the cross so that we might be free, so that I might be free, took it all, and now I'm alive in Christ. Mercy. God's mercy is the most profound thing. And if you guys don't understand some of God's mercy. Of course, we can't fully always get all of our heads around things because God's God and it blows our brains. But to to start with God's mercy, Mm. it's in view of God's mercy that we lay our lives down. Our response to his mercy is to offer our whole lives as a living sacrifice. And we do this by laying down our agendas, our hopes, our dreams, and we pick up God's. And uh, we've, been, we've been banging on about the Bible all, all weekend because there's so much truth mm. in, in these words. 
You know, we want to be obedient to the Bible, whatever the cost, and make our wise choices and decisions in light of that. I'd love just to read some words from from Ephesians for you guys, Ephesians 4.20. This is a little letter which Paul wrote whilst he's in prison, and uh, he says this, this stuff is gold and kind of intense. Okay, you were taught, we were taught, with regard to, to, our for, to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true, true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must no longer steal, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only for what is helpful for the building of others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. God had mercy on you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in this way of light. Sorry, in a way of love. Just as Christ loved us and he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know, that's what being a living sacrifice looks like. That's one of the examples from scripture of what being a living sacrifice looks like. It's, is there anyone in this room that's not challenged when you, when you hear that? You know, it challenges me every single time I read it. And um, as I said to you earlier, you know, I'm, I'm like you guys, I hate the phrase, but on a journey with, uh, we need a better phrase, don't we, in the church, not to be on a journey, but we are on a journey of, of, of becoming more like Jesus. And over the time, uh, I've wanted to make decisions so that I might become more and more of a living sacrifice. Just, um, it was a few years back, I was doing the discipleship year here, which is um, like a year out to serve the church alongside in work part-time. I was a travel agent, that's another story. But it was quite fun, but um, that is another story. But at, at New Year's um, that year, 2004 or five, um, I was at a party uh, in town, and um, I, had way too, I had way too much to drink, like way too much to drink. And I'm not telling this story so that you're like, oh, great, that's great information. I'm telling you this story because the next morning I woke up and um, I felt rough, as anyone who's ever had too much to drink knows. I felt awful. And I had this conflicting situation in my mind because I was like, God, I've given you a year of my life to lay my life down, to put you first, to be a living sacrifice. But yet this, this situation just doesn't, doesn't reflect that at all. And, and I felt God challenge me and convict me. And so I made the decision back then, however many years ago that was, to stop drinking. Because I was like, I don't want to be shaped by this. I don't want to be marked by this. And uh, so for years, I didn't drink anything. And it's not because I think, I don't think you can have a drink, you know, here and there. But it's because it wasn't shaping me in a way that I wanted to be shaped. It wasn't, it, it wasn't me living my life in view of God's mercy, offering my life as a living sacrifice. I was just doing what I wanted to do. And uh, years on now, every, every now and again, I, like, I love a cheeky pina colada or a gin and tonic. <laughs> but, it's, but the last time I drank too much 
was that moment mm. in 2004. It's never happened since then. I had the same situation with, with swearing a few years back, quite a few years back now, when somebody challenged me and said, it wasn't that I was terrible at it, but somebody said to me, you need to sort out your language because you become very sloppy. And if you don't sort it out, firstly, you're dishonoring God, and secondly, it's not God's best. It will hold you back. And so I made a decision then, not because out of some kind of religion or some kind of, something kind of legalistic, but because I want my life to be a living sacrifice. We lay our stuff down. You know, one of the things that's constantly, for me, I, I have to lay down, and it's kind of personal to talk about, but um, I long to, to get married and to have a family. And um, over the last, probably, I don't know, 10 years or something like that, there's been times when that's been easier, and there's times when it's been harder. And there's been times, if I'm honest with you, where the distraction of that has led me to a place that um, has not been healthy. And that's become the main thing. That's become the thing that I'm focused on. And um, what I'm not saying is, um, you know, those, God doesn't put those desires and dreams in our hearts. But what I am saying is that we are called to lay some of those things down, to be a living sacrifice, to not let the situations, whatever it might be for you, it might be a totally different thing for you. Physique, it was his football career. You know, to lay them down and to focus on what God has for us in the moment. I don't want to miss out on what God has for me now because I'm too worried, worrying about what the future looks like. Mm. You know, in view of God's mercy, we offer ourselves as the living sacrifice. That's what true worship looks like. You know, it's not just a Sunday thing, not just a small group thing, not just a when everybody's kind of looking kind of thing. It's a whole life thing, whole life response. Everything we do is in response to his mercy. Zeke, Ezekiel. Thanks, Suze. So the second equation, if you like, we've got a new scribe and Suze can spell. I don't know about that. I've always had that problem. Um, Just can't spell for the life of me. Um, Yeah, anyway. Uh, so, so we've got the second, the second equation, and just while Suze was talking, I was thinking about my family. Like, I, I barely ever see my family. All my family live in Australia, and often my, there's been my sister particularly, and my, my mom have said to me, see, you should be back here. You should be back here, and it's sort of like this thing of you've got to hate your mother. Jesus wasn't saying hate your mum, like, obviously. He loved his mum, so why would we, you know, like... But he was saying, in comparison to me, that is second in, in line. And there's been times when my mum said to me, Zeke, you know, my mum suffers with depression and that has been a hard thing growing up, uh, bipolar and, and all sorts. And there's been time where I know she's alone, she doesn't have anyone. And I've had to, you know, really say, Lord, are you sure you want me here? And, and it's hard, the call of God is it, on, on our life. But this comes to sort of the will of God sometimes, because the next equation, Paul's talking about, if we want to know the will of God, it says, do not conform to the patterns of the world. So we don't conform, and that's our job, right? That's what we can do. This isn't God. God doesn't help us not, well, he helps us not conform, but he can't not conform for us. We need to not conform. So that's our job in the equation. Then be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we, we don't conform we add it to being transformed. But this is where it's sort of us and God. See, we are tra- being transformed by the renewing of our minds and our lives. But also, got like this is God's job because he's doing a supernatural work in us. That's why you get to a point where you, you don't want to use bad language. 
You, you don't want to sleep around. You don't want to judge people like you have. You don't want to treat people like you, because God is doing an inner work, and that's how you get to God's will. This is God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. But how many of us want to get here before we do these things, yeah? How many of you have thought about, oh, I just want to know what God's will for my life is. That's the most important thing. If I can be in the center of his will, but like live a shocking Christian journey, it doesn't matter. I just want to be in the center of his will. Do you know what I mean? Just like, what's God's will for my life? That's not the main question. It's more like, are you going to be obedient to the call of following him? And that will give you his will. You see, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. Then you'll know what God's will is. You see, I don't know if you guys have come across this, but we're in that age group of, of we, we've heard about the quarter-life crisis. Anyone heard about it? It's like there used to be the midlife crisis. Now we're so jacked up on social media and whatever else we're jacked up on. We have a quarter-life crisis. So I really, I'm concerned about what the midlife crisis is gonna look like for the people who have had a quarter-life crisis. Man, Lord, help us. Um, but the three questions that psychologists, sociologists are saying is, is in our generation, we're asking these three questions. What am I gonna do with my career? That's about work and about your career. What am I going to, what, am I ever gonna own a home? That's home life. And then the third one is, am I going to end up with someone, a partner? Am I ever gonna get married? And this, and people are getting to their 30s or even late, late 20s and thinking, none of this is falling into place. Like, what, what's going on? And they're having these quarter-life crises. And I, it's, and I remember when I sort of had one of these moments, I was, but, but it's interesting because what happens is when we have these moments, we then turn to our solution. I'll tell you what my solution was when I wanted to find the relationship. My beautiful wife, Ellie, we went on a very roller coaster ride of staying together. Like God definitely had us destined to be together, but goodness me, that was a, a turbulent journey. For my heart, more than I feel like it was for Ellie's, but that's me just speaking personally. But we were, we, were, we, were, we were on and off like, I don't know what, but we, would, we just, just couldn't like get it working. And all through that time, I was really sure that she was meant to be, for, be with me. I felt like the Lord early on in our relationship said, she's sort of the one for you. And um, we just, it just didn't, loads of stuff happened. But what, when she wasn't responding in the way that I wanted, I sort of, sort of started to, instead of not conforming, and being transformed. I heard that like all of my mates at school and at college and, and then as a young adult were looking at porn and that seemed to like, you know, sort them out in some way. That's what I just, you know, like, and so I started this journey where I started to look at pornography and that was sort of when I was deep in like longing to be with someone and, and emotionally low, I would go to that as my source rather than the Lord. And so I was conforming to the patterns of this world. I was not being transformed so that I wasn't walking in God's will in that area of my life. And you know, guys, I, I had real moments and there was, this one, there was this encounter once where I was really desperate because I was really addicted and I was struggling. And then I, I got back with Ellie and we, we, we started talking about marriage and I was like, I've got to stop doing it. This is... Pervert, this is wrong, man. 
this is not right. And I was, I was actually like what Simon was talking about this morning. I was saying, God, give me a, just give me a fear about this stuff. I don't want to feel okay about doing this. And that was my prayer for ages, but I just kept doing it because that was sort of me working out somehow that, I don't know. And I was a youth pastor, and, and, it was, and young people were sharing and confessing stuff, and I was like, oh, I know how you feel, but, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's tough. Like, it was really tough in my life. And, and, um, and I get to this point, and I'm actually, I'm getting really honest here, but honesty is good. And, and I'm watching this pornography film, and literally, and I'm not lying, the face of Jesus just appeared in this woman. Like, it, like, it, was, it, was, it was like, so I literally slammed the, the, the laptop down. I deleted everything and like got on my knees and just cried out to the Lord because he encountered me in that moment. I was like, flip, this is crazy. Like G- Jesus just said, I'm, I, I, I care about that woman. That's not how your, the future is gonna go. And there and then I, I pretty much ditched that whole stuff. I started to, to not conform to those patterns of relationship and stuff. I was... I, God started to transform the way I saw relationships, the way my marriage now is. I'm not struggling with that. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm being more like Christ. And, and I thank you, Lord, for more of that. And, I'm, and I'm now I'm walking in God's will. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. He's done the work. But, you know, this is our struggle. This is our struggle. And please listen to, to um, Bodder's talk on pornography because the statistics are saying so many people are struggling with it. But... There's that time where Christ comes and he intervenes and he'll do it for you and he can. But this is an equation that works. It's an equation that works. We wanna be a people who live out the impossible task. I know some of you are sat here because I've been in your seat and you're in, and you're in what I've been talking about and it seems impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That's not about you, that's him. That's what he will do in and through you. Suze, do you wanna... Great, thanks, Susan. Yeah, we're just we're, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up in just just a moment. But I think just just for t- just for ten seconds before we, well, it might take longer than that, thirty seconds maybe. But but I know what it's like at these conferences. Uh, if you're anything like me, you come along. There's there's loads of amazing teaching that was this morning, uh, and then there's uh, things like this seminar. And you go away and you're like, what what are they on about? You get to Tuesday, you're like maybe at work or at uni or whatever, and you're like, what, what were they going on about? And uh, we would love for you to take these equations away with you mm. and to really meditate on them. They're not our equations. It's scripture, right? It's, it's, from, it's from the Bible. So just if, if you haven't written them down, get your phone out. And pretty much, I'm sure everyone in this room has got a phone. And, uh, and, and write them down on your phone. Just for a minute, they should, they should come up. Or they, oh, brilliant. Yes, thank you guys up there. Should we just, the media guys never get a thank you, so let's... Give them a thanks. So 10 seconds just to bang those down and then we're going to just finish up. Some of you are taking photos. That is a much better idea. Love that. (laughs) Love that. As long as you look at it. Great. So most of you should have, should have got that, those down. But I guess just a few closing thoughts from us, really. You know, maybe you've never truly understood that there's a cost to following Jesus. You know, maybe you've never applied these questions to your lives. But take some time this week to do that. 
Because what is it going to take for you to live this stuff out? And what are you going to do about it? And you might be sat there and, uh, you know, there's loads of us here in this room. All of us will have different stuff going on. And you might be thinking, oh, man, I've, I've got not just one issue. I've got this and this and this and this. You feel totally overwhelmed. How am I even going to start? Well, what I'd love to suggest to you, what we'd love to suggest is that you start with one thing. That you identify that thing before the Lord and you say, God, will you help me with that thing? Once that's sorted, move on to something else. But just do something. You know, if you're challenged, I urge you, as Paul urged you, I urge you not to stay in the place you are because we serve a God who is a God of freedom, a God who brings freedom and wants to make you whole. Don't be somebody who dreams of being fully obedient to God. Don't wait and get into, you know, I don't know, we're going to live forever now because medicine's so amazing, but you don't want to look back when you're 90 and think I'm still hung up on the things that I was hung up about when I was in my 20s. God has so much more for us than that. Be somebody who takes action, who takes a step towards doing the impossible. I want to repeat what I said earlier. If we want to do the impossible, we need to put our hands fully in the God of whom all things are possible. Because if you're up for saying yes to that, we really believe that God will use you to do the impossible. You know, you'll see God use you in the most incredible ways that you'll stand back and think, God, how did you use me to do that thing? When you see your friends come to know Jesus, when you see your colleagues come to know Jesus, when, when you pray for somebody and somebody's leg gets healed, someone's back gets healed, somebody gets set free from anxiety or something, you'll see God not only change your life, but you'll see him change the lives of those around you. And don't we want to see that? Yeah. You know, yeah, yes, excellent. You know, Zeke read a, quite a deep quote at the beginning, but about not taking things to the grave, not taking dreams to the grave. Let's live our lives spent for Jesus. Mm-hmm. Let's not get to the grave holding on to what could have been, mm. holding on to the dreams that we kept with us we never did anything about. We'd love to pray. You might have questions. We haven't got loads of time, so perhaps if you've got a question, come and ask us afterwards. But why don't we, why don't we stand? And I know this, the last, I don't know, it's been 24 hours or something. It's been intense, yeah? Anyone feel like they can't take any more? But there's always more, you know? <laughs> God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Mm. So um, if you need to go, then that's, that's cool. But uh, we believe God's here and he wants to move among us. So if you're comfortable, why don't you just close your eyes? Just um, adopt a posture of saying, God, come speak, come meet with me desperate for you, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you. We invite you into our lives to come and to to challenge us, to speak to us, to meet with us, God. To be a generation that doesn't just settle for dreams, but does the impossible. So come, Holy Spirit. Guys, we're just going to wait for a moment.
feels your presence today. Some of you, the Lord's just starting to rest on you. This is a safe place to, to meet with him. We ask for more, Lord. Just press into him. Others of you, don't disengage. There's, there's more for you. Come, Holy Spirit. Just, I, I just um, sense that there's a couple, a, a couple of people in here. While Susan and I have been speaking, you're sort of like, do you know what? I, I don't think I sort of re- realized that cooling off period that that that, that I, I jumped into this, and I am, um, I sort of, I've become a Christian, and I've started going to church and started getting on with everything, but I'm not. I'm listening to some of this and I'm just like, I actually really want to just be all in and say, Lord, you've got my whole life. And it's almost like you've been playing around the edges and you're actually on the team and you, you need to just take that step. If, if that's like, if you sense that, I'd just love you to just, as a, as a response, just put your, your fist in the air and just say that, Lord, I'm, I'm taking a stand for you. That just you, your, your life, you, it's not really matching up with what the Lord's got for you. Yeah. Lord, would you just rest on those people? Mm. Would you show them that what you've done is enough? Mm. What you did at the cross is enough. And I also sense like just the whole dream thing, just the whole dreams thing. Some of you have got like specific dreams um, that you've had for ages, but the the step to actually make that a reality has has actually not happened. And um, and and you want to, and we want to invite you to just take a stand within your heart or however you. You feel like maybe you want to come and kneel down the front or maybe you just want to, I don't know, whatever, the, whatever you need to do mm. to just say, Lord, I'm, I, I want to, I'm going after the dreams. I mean, this is something that Susan and I have really talked about with DTI. Like just, just we've had dreams in our hearts and, and things are becoming a little bit more real. And it's like, well, okay, like this is going to cost stuff. Mm. So just whatever, like I, I I don't want to give you a formula. If you, if you feel you need to kneel down the front and just give that dream to the Lord and say, God, I'm going to take a step, or you need to turn to someone and just say, look, can we pray about this? Mm. Yeah, there's also some of you that the thing, it, it's like, um, just as the guys will start coming out, that's great. Um, but there's some of you who, it, it's the thing that's stopping you doing the impossible. I think there's two things the Lord's highlighted to me. One is... Um, that you look at yourself and think, how could God ever forgive me for the stuff I've done? Mm. Um, that's a lie of the enemy. Jesus wants to bring freedom and forgiveness this afternoon. The second one is that because you don't feel like you're qualified, 
that some, it's something deep inside of you thinks you're not worthy, you're not good enough, that God could actually use you. And that is also a lie of the enemy. And um, we'd love to pray for you as well. So, um, There's lots of you really meeting with God around the room. I think, I think some of you might need to come out. And so don't be shy, come and do that. I know that's taking a little bit of a risk. Others of you, you may just need to turn to the person next to you, but don't leave here without letting someone pray for you. Can we get a little bit of music on just, just chill, super chilled out? There's a number of people coming now, so we will need some people to pray, some, some guys, some girls. And let's be gentle about this, guys. You know, these guys might want to share as much or as little as they want. But let's be sensitive in the way we pray, pray together as family. There's some enabling team around maybe to come and pray with some people. If you love the Lord and you're, you're in a place where you, you know, just come and pray. Come and pray. Yeah. Um, the guy, there's a guy there with, he sat down, the real nice haircut and a, and a, and a striped shirt. Yeah, you man, you. Um, do you. Could you just stand for a second, mate? I just feel like while we were, while I was speaking, like the, the Lord's like stirring your heart, man. And, and um. I just, I just see that you're, that God has, He's given you like leadership qualities. He's given you like an, an ability to influence others. And, and I, I just see you having an impact on the next generation. I see you having an impact on like young people, peers. And, but not just that, um, there's been like sort of, God's been speaking to you about a few things and you've sort of put it on the back burner. Maybe I might be, if, you, if it's making sense, just nod, maybe. But, but um, mate, you, he's, you're, you're so precious to him. Mm. And, and he, like, there's a sternness about you that is God-given. That you're not, you're not, you don't want, like, the pretend stuff. You want the real deal. And mm. what was your name? Pete. Lord, maybe if there's a few people around Pete. Lord, would you just bless Pete? Just bless his life. If any of that is true... And it's what you've got for his life. Would you pour it out, Lord God? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's loads of you really meet with God and no one's praying for you. So it might be a minute till someone gets to you. But if, if you look around, someone's got their eyes shut and they look engaged, chances are they might value being prayed for. So just go lay a hand on them and pray for them. I just want to pray a prayer over you guys. And then if you need to go, feel free to go. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're here in this room. I thank you that you are the God of freedom. And so I pray, Lord, now that you would um, break any sense of shame in this room over these guys. That any sense of feeling like whatever they've done, whatever life's looked like, that you couldn't forgive them. But we thank you that we can bring our stuff to you and you forgive us. And for any of these guys who feel unworthy, Lord, I pray that you would come and break that now in the name of Jesus. That there would be a freedom here to, to... to see ourselves, to, for they would see themselves in the way that you see them. Increase your presence, God. Increase your presence. Ruth, would you mind just praying in here? Thanks, mate. Guys, we're going to just uh, carry on praying. So if you want to go do something else or stay in, hang out, that's totally fine. 
If you want to be prayed for and no one's got to you, then just um, hang in there because we, we will get to you. But it's been great to see you this afternoon and um, praying you have an amazing rest of the conference as well.